Hey there, Lisa Schwartz here. Welcome to my podcast, Teach and Talk with Lisa, where we are unpacking biblical principles with everyday words and applying them to our everyday lives. In this series, we are talking about healthy relationships. I'm kind of walking with you through my book, To Love and to Be Love, Establishing Healthy Relationships. So now we've just finished up a couple of episodes where we've been talking about the traits of a healthy relationship. And today we're gonna start talking about forms of unhealthy relationship. And I'm gonna be talking specifically about soul ties versus ungodly soul ties. And if we have time, we're gonna compare that to codependency. Um, So again, I'm not gonna go into a ton of details. I'm not gonna read you the book, get a copy of the book. So today, let's talk about soul ties. Now, a lot of times we uh, hear, especially in in the kingdom, we hear soul ties always being talked about from a negative perspective. Um, So the first thing I want you to know about a soul tie is we are designed for soul ties. Uh, This goes back to the very first episode where we talked about being created for connection. Uh, We want to be connected with mind, soul, and spirit. Um, And we want to have our emotions connected with, we want to feel validated in our emotions, we want somebody to hear us out. Uh, We want to have um, stimulating conversations, so we want to be connected with mentally, intellectually, and that is a part of our design. Um, and so I think a lot of times we hear a lot about ungodly soul times and we ungodly soul ties and we throw the the baby out with the bathwater and don't recognize that there is a beautiful part of soul ties and um, that's really what marriage is all about. But a lot of times God will bless us with all kinds of godly soul ties in our relationship where we feel very connected um, with other people in a way that is healthy and not unhealthy. So if you, um, if you have not read the story of Jonathan and um, David, they are a great example, and that's in 1 Samuel chapter 18. They're a great example of a godly soul tie. So 1 Samuel 18, 1 says, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan, who was Saul's, who was Saul's son, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, to give you um, a brief history of this story, Jonathan is actually the son of the current king of the time, which was Saul. And so um, by uh, tradition, by culture, Jonathan would be the heir to the throne. However, Jonathan recognized that David was anointed, he was assigned by God to be the next king. Now, in a natural world, uh, when we're not walking with the, the Lord and we're not walking in the Spirit, a lot of times that would cultivate jealousy, it would cultivate anger. We would assume that Jonathan would become very um, bitter towards David, that he would do what he, uh, whatever he could to try and sabotage that path or that plan um, that God had in mind for David. But that is not the case. Uh, Jonathan understood uh, God, God's will for David and that he was to be the next king. Um, so instead of responding in envy or in anger, he was willing to surrender his position in order to help cultivate David's path. He recognized that this ultimately was not about him. It was not about his path. Um, but it was about God's path, not just for David, but also for Jonathan. So um, we all are on a path. We are all on a journey. Um, and, And I say we're on a path inside and outside. So we're on a path on the inside to become more like the image of God. 
um, to come more into our design, who we're created to be. So I'm designed to walk in the fullness of joy, love, compassion, grace, forgiveness, confidence, boldness. You are designed for that as well. That is our internal path. Our mind is designed to think like God, um, to not be confused, but to have clarity from the kingdom, to have a perspective uh, from the third heavens. That is the path that we are on in Christ. So that's what I'm talking about when I say we're all on an internal path. We also have an external path, which is our purpose. Now, if you haven't read my books, Enforcing You and Enforcing Purpose, this is what this is talking about. Enforcing You is about your internal path, your internal destiny of who you are designed to be. Also your external path, Enforcing Purpose, which is the plan, the path, the purpose that God has in mind for you. Now, a godly soul tie is when I see that in somebody and they see that in me and we love to cultivate that in each other. There's no um, manipulation. There's no desire to cut that path off. I'm not cutting off your path of joy. I'm not cutting off your path of freedom, which is where we start kind of getting into some emotional abusive situations. But a godly soul tie recognizes the path, the internal path, meaning who I'm, who I'm called to be, as well as the external path of each other, and it cultivates that path. And that's what we see in David and Jonathan. They cultivated each other's path. They celebrated one another's purposes and did not feel threatened by them. This is God's design for us. This is a form of a healthy, godly soul tie. And it is what God has in mind for you and for me. It is when we are preferring God's plan and preferring God's path for another person and they are preferring God's plan and they are preferring God's um, plan path for you as well. So we're not cutting each other off, but we see, we recognize, we don't feel threatened by it and we're cultivating. And then we begin to journey in life together, um, celebrating each other, celebrating each other's paths. Um, this is obviously super important marriage. Uh, we, I do a lot of marriage counseling and it is unfortunate how many times we see one spouse feeling threatened by the other person's, the other spouse's success. Um, and they feel like, or they feel like only one of the paths are being celebrated. Remember we talked about that mutual celebration um, and that mutual care for one another. Um, so a godly soul tie is absolutely when it's mutual where we see each other's paths and we're cultivating them, we're celebrating them, we're not doing anything to try and cut that path off. And remember, we're not just talking about an external path, we're talking about the internal path of who I'm um, coming into. I'm coming more into Christ on a regular basis. Now let's flip the coin and let's talk about ungodly soul ties. So it is fair to say that any relationship not operating within God's design is an ungodly soul tie. So this is the broadest definition of an unhealthy relationship. So we're going to go into specific ungodly soul ties. So obviously if we're in an abusive relationship, it's an ungodly soul tie. If we're in a codependent relationship, it's an ungodly soul tie. So we're talking about kind of the broadest term and more specifically, we're talking about a biblical term for an unhealthy relationship is an ungodly soul tie. When I feel a sense of connection to somebody, um, but that connection squelches my internal design, my internal path, and, squel and squelches my external path and my external design. Now it's 
it's important, and I keep saying this, it's important that you recognize your part in this because sometimes we feel internally squelched or we feel externally squelched. And it's really just a perception that we have because of the way we view ourselves. So it's always important that you look at the mirror and you face yourself before you start blaming everybody else. It's so easy for us to blame everybody else for our path not being cultivated. But a lot of times our path isn't being cultivated because we aren't cultivating it within ourselves. So again, this is a part of my books, Enforcing You, Enforcing Purpose, Enforcing Prayer, is how do I take the Word of God and how do I begin to cultivate my internal path, my internal design, who I'm called to be? How do I take the ownership of that? Stop blaming all the things in my life. Stop blaming my past. Stop blaming my mama, my, my daddy. Stop blaming my spouse and really start owning that and really say, what can I do to own my own um, path here? And so it's really important as we're talking about forms of unhealthy relationship that before you start pointing your finger at every, every person that you are in relationship with, that you look in the mirror and you start where you can start and that is with you and the Lord between you and Him. All right, so, um, uh, un, so ungodly soul tie is when two people are knit at the soul to the point where uh, that person, we put that person before God. Um, so it can be an ungodly soul tie that cuts off my design, my path, or I'm cutting off their design and their path. But ultimately what's happening is, is I, I, I put that person before I put God and his path, his design. And so that person and their influence over me, I allow them to squelch my path. I allow them to affect my emotions. So remember, in every situation, God has a plan for me. He has a design in how I get to, how I choose to respond, who I want to be in that moment, who I get to be. But when I allow a person to shift that or to alter my identity in a moment, meaning they have altered how I want to respond and I end up responding according to how I think they want me to respond, that is an ungodly soul tie. So lots to go into here when it talks about ungodly soul tie. If we're honest with ourselves, when we operate in fear with somebody, we don't feel like we uh, are open. Uh, we have the freedom to be open, to be honest. That is an ungodly soul tie. And again, it is not necessarily their fault. You must look in the mirror first because a lot of times it's because we're lacking confidence, we're lacking courage. Go back and watch, again, those traits of the healthy relationship if you haven't watched them. And we kind of went over all of these traits one by one. I took my time, I broke it into three parts because I want you to walk in the fullness of your God design. But it is so easy for us to fall into the trap of an ungodly soul tie because we so desperately want to be loved. We so desperately want to be accepted. We so desperately want everybody to click like on every post that we put. We want them to hit that heart button on Instagram. We want them to follow us on TikTok. All of these things, it's so easy for us to fall into that trap. And there we end up putting, a lot of us just have an ungodly soul tie with the culture. We have an ungodly soul tie with the, the people on, that are following us on Facebook or Instagram because we're looking to our affirma for affirmation when we're looking for love, we're looking to be liked literally um, in all the people around us instead of looking to, that, to God for those things. So an example of this is found in Genesis 29 with Leah and her desire to please Jacob. Now, 
Uh, again, a little backstory here. Jacob is the story where he goes into the land of Laban. Laban was his father, or was his father-in-law, and and he. Um, he, I don't think Laban was his father. It was his uncle. Laban was his uncle. Sorry, I was thinking of Jethro. Um, Laban was his uncle, and he goes into the what I call the land of Laban, where he has to toil and work for 20 years. Now, he does so to earn the hand of Rachel, which is the, the beautiful daughter. She's the desired daughter. And then there's Leah, who is not so attractive. The Bible says there was nothing becoming about her. Um, Laban deceives him. He ends up giving him Leah, uh, and Jacob is like, this is not the wife that I wanted. I wanted Rachel. Um, and so um, Leah, he gets Leah, and then he finally gets Rachel. And so Rachel is barren. She can't have kids, um, but Leah continues to birth all these kids. But after she has these boys, uh, she's having boys, and what she says is, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. So after she conceives and she bears a son named Reuben, she says this. Then she conceived again and bore another son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called him Simeon. Then she conceived again and bore a son again and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have now borne him three sons. And so in some regard, what she's doing is she's taking the gifts and the blessings um, of God because the fruitfulness of her womb ultimately was because of the hand of God on her life. But she was taking that and using it to try and gain the affection and the love of her husband. So it goes on, it says, therefore his name was called Levi, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, um, and then she stopped bearing. So once she came into a place where she recognized, look, there is a love that I am being given here that is far beyond the love of my husband, and all of these blessings, all of this fruit is not coming from my husband, it's coming from God. And she began to shift her, de her desire for affection from her husband to the Lord, that is when she had the aha moment that said, and I find it interesting that Judah, the one who finally was that shift for her, is the lineage of Jesus. Um, and so just kind of a prophetic act that the birthing of Jesus here on the earth is what caused the shift for the world where we get to now take our attention off the world, the affections of the world, and put them on Christ and say, I no longer care about what the world thinks of me. I'm no longer going to work for the attention of the world. I'm no longer looking for a love of the world, for I have received the love of Jesus, the affections of Jesus, the affections of the Father, and I'm going to set myself free from being captivated and rejected by these things, and I'm going to receive the love and the acceptance. I'm going to come into the contentment of the kingdom, and I'm going to find my joy and satisfaction in the person of God alone. This is a prophetic act of how that shifted for her in a moment, and all of the sudden, she uh, broke in some sense off that ungodly soul tie. She was still very connected to her husband. There was still a soul tie there. But the ungodliness where she was looking for her identity, she was looking for her love, she was looking to be affirmed in a person instead of God, it was broken in that moment. Now, let me ask you this question. In Galatians 1.10, it says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? 
For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. So this is where we have to ask ourselves some hard questions in the relationships that we are in. A question like, how far will you go to help somebody? How far will you go to please somebody? How far will you go to be accepted by somebody or to just be liked? What are places or areas in your life where you would be willing or you have compromised what you wanted, what you thought was right in a moment in order to be accepted or be pleasing to a person? Listen, you have to be honest with yourself. This is None of this is said in condemnation. All of this is said is to call us up and set us free out of the captivation that a lot of us are stuck in in our relationships. I have been there. If you go back to episode one, I talked about really operating in fear in relationships for so many years of my life and how it led me down a path of anxiety that was rooted in rejection because no matter how much I tried, no matter how much I compromised myself, no matter how much I, uh, no matter, matter how far I would go to ble- please other people, it did not bring me the satisfaction that I needed and that I'm designed for. So I am designed to walk in satisfaction, contentment, that is a part of our design. And often relationships come into our lives, again, that cuts off that path, cuts off that design, whether it's the other person's fault or whether it's your own fault because you're looking to that person to be the fulfillment of your design. So how far have you gone to compro- and, and compromised what you wanted? And, and, and listen to me, a lot of times we'll say, well, the Bible says we're supposed to put um, others, the interest of others before our own. And while there is truth to that, you are also not supposed to cut off your own path. You can put the interest of somebody else before your own, but still have freedom to communicate. This is not really what I want to be doing. Um, and there should be freedom there. I think that's okay. Uh, I mean, as a parent, I often say to my kids, look, this isn't what I want to be doing right now. I'm very tired. I've had a long day, but I see this as a need for you, and so I'm going to set what I'm doing aside. I'm going to set what I want aside because I really feel like this is an important moment. Um, But I'm not going to just be like, okay, and then be angry and bitter. There's freedom there to be honest, and it's healthy to teach them um, by communicating that. Um, I will often say that with my staff, like, look, I really, really set a boundary for this weekend in regard to these things, but I also see there's a conflict. I'm in ministry, so sometimes things come up that you can't, um, that you can't help. Um, and so you have to discern in those moments. The, the truest um, evidence of unhealth is when you don't feel free to communicate honestly. It's more about the ability to communicate and be honest than it is about the actual decision that you make. Um, And so when you don't feel free to be honest and say, this isn't really what I want to be doing right now, but I'm going to go ahead and put your interest interest at heart right now because I see this is important. Um, But when, when you don't have the freedom to communicate that, that's when there is concern. So let's talk about um, codependency. Codependency is a more defined form of ungodly soul ties. So if ungodly soul tie is like up here, there are different forms of ungodly soul ties and codependency is one of them. Now we hear a lot about codependency. We hear that verbiage in the world a lot. And again, it's really when there's an unhealthy connection uh, where we're relying on somebody to the point of Uh, Again, squelching our own design, squelching their design. But let me talk to you about the actual definition of codependency. It is a type of dysfunctional helping relationship. It is a type of dysfunctional helping relationship. 
That sounds like an oxy, oxymoron. It's a, defunct, a dysfunctional helping um, relationship where one person supports or enables another person's drug addiction, alcoholism, gambling addiction, poor mental health. Okay, so where I'm supporting not just drug, we all know what codependency looks like with alcoholism, um, addiction, um, some of us even with uh, domestic violence. But when we kind of narrow it down even more to saying there is an ability to enable unhealthy patterns, there's an ability to enable destructive relationship patterns. Um, in, in, when you are uh, enabling irresponsibility, um, let me give you let me give you just a very practical example. Okay, this is a very practical example. Uh, my son is uh, 14. Uh, he just turned 14, actually, and uh, obviously he gets up and he goes to school in the morning. At the beginning of this last school year, I noticed he was not getting up when he was supposed to be getting up. He was. And so I was waking him up. I would go in and be like, hey, kid, you overslept. You're, you're, you're turning your alarm off and you overslept your alarm. And so for the first two or three weeks, every morning I would go in. I was super kind. And I was like, hey, kid, you overslept. Your, come on, it's time to get up. Let's go. Um, well, what I noticed was um, after about two or three weeks of that, he wasn't setting his alarm anymore. Um, so I was enabling him. I was giving him permission to be irresponsible and not wake himself up not get up when the alarm went off. And so that required a conversation to first of all say, look, in my attempt to be helpful to you and to set you up for succeed, I fear that I have enabled you um, to not set your alarm and not get up when you're supposed to. And so I have taught you to rely upon me um, and I'm not gonna be here for the rest of your life. At some point, you're going to need to set an alarm and get up and go to work. Um, and so I apologize or repented for my, the part that I played. That is a form, it, it's, it seems very, um, it seems very uh, non-important or irrelevant, but it is a form where I was cultivating a codependency um, that he was having upon me. Um, and so I wanted to break that, and so I obviously had that conversation with him, and I said, as of tomorrow, I will not be waking you up. You need to set your alarm. If you oversleep your alarm, you will miss school. Um, so, <laughs> Um, and so he did not miss his, he did not miss again. I, that honestly literally came to an end that day. Um, but I did not blame him. I did not yell at him. I owned what was mine because I played a part in that codependent habit that was beginning to develop, to develop and I was cultivating and enabling his irresponsibility. So when we're, um, a lot of times we cultivate immaturity in one another by not uh, letting people fail by keeping them, by constantly coddling them, taking care of them. Uh, we, and so these are all unhealthy relationships. I see this a lot with parents when they overly coddle kids in their, um, in their fits, temper tantrums. Oh, I think something's wrong with them. And so then the child uh, becomes addictive, for a lack of a better term, to the positive and the pampering response of the parent. And, and now here we go. We've kind of developed this codependent, weirdo, just back and forth, un healthy, ungodly soul tie, where the, where the child is now relying on the parent to help calm them down as, a, as opposed to the parent teaching the child, look, this is where we go right now, praying with the child, helping them work through their emotions um, instead of coddling them in their emotions. Now, hear me when I'm saying I'm giving very generic examples. Um, and so use your discernment to pray about your specific examples or connect with me about things that are going on in your own home. You can schedule a free 15-minute discovery call where we, we can talk specifically about what's going on in your home and really 
really try to assess and give you some direction on how to overcome some difficulties maybe that you're having with your children. So it's important for us to understand that codependency is a learned behavior. Um, as are all unhealthy relationships. Remember, we are designed to walk in healthy connection. And so we learn uh, all these forms of mishealth through the world and through our system, uh, just trying to survive and looking desperately to be loved and to be connected, connected well and with and to feel a sense of connectedness. And so codependents often take on a martyr's role and become benefactors to the afflicted party. Um, so the afflicted party then therefore needs the martyr, but here's what's interesting is the martyr also needs the afflicted party. They need to be needed. So this is where it's a codependence. They are, co I mean, the person who is the codependent is just as broken as the person who's broken. Um, and so codependence goes both ways. That's why if you feel like you're in a codependent relationship, you need to own what is yours. Start by looking in the mirror. You can change that pattern. I'm going to be talking about how to change that pattern of the relationship by changing you and changing the way you respond. So if this is a mutually satisfying relationship, but it is not God's design. When I say satisfying, it's uh, mutually satisfying. It's usually temporarily satisfying, but you have to keep being codependent in order to sustain that satisfaction and contentment. So today we, to sum up, we have talked about godly soul ties, how we're designed for godly soul ties. We've talked about ungodly soul ties, where we can find these examples in the scriptures and how this connects to codependency, which is often a term that we have heard in the world. So this sums up for today. We're going to go into talking a little bit about abusive relationships, gaslighting. We hear a lot about gaslighting. Uh, we hear a lot about narcissism. Where is Where are all these things in the Bible? We're going to go through asking ourselves questions to help assess whether or not I might or might not be in an abusive relationship. Um, so you're not going to want to miss the next couple of episodes. We're going to really talk very intimately about taking ownership and taking authority over your relationships so that you can be walking in the fullness of your path inside and outside. Okay, you guys, get a copy of the book so that you can be following along. Uh, follow me on TikTok. Subscribe to my podcast. You can find me all over. I would love to connect with you. Um, book a discovery call if you're interested in talking more specifically about your relationships. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can also find me on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my other podcast show, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For general information or resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. Thanks for listening.